Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. It is great to be back with you again. I know I've been kind of uh, alternating. I've had a speaking engagement and I'll be taking uh, a Sunday off uh, after this week, but then we'll be back in for a few weeks. Uh, we are ending our sermon series called uh, Loving Self, Loving God, and or no, I'm sorry, Knowing Me, Knowing God. And uh, so let me start by reading the uh, scripture that we'll be focusing on today. This comes from Matthew 22, verses 34 through 46. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David by the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of God's word. So I'm going to do something in worship that I've never done before. And I'm going to try it with you uh, if you're listening, if you are in a place where you can sit down and pull out a pen or paper, uh, feel free to play along. If you're listening to this while uh, walking or driving or whatever, then uh, maybe you can come back to this later and play along. So we're going to take a test. I'm going to ask people to get out pens and write this on their bulletins. I'm going to ask you three different questions and see uh, how you do. All right. Are you ready? First question. What was the occupation of the person who asked Jesus, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? All right, question number two. Jesus responded that you shall love the Lord your God with what three things? And then finally, in verse 42, Jesus asks the group, What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? How did the Pharisees respond? The son of blank. So whether you get these right or not, and if you want to know the answers, uh, the answers are number one, lawyer, number two, heart, soul, and mind, and number three, David. I'm not terribly concerned about how well people do on these tests or quiz. Maybe this is more of a quiz, but I'm curious, and I'll ask folks this on Sunday, what kind of feelings did that stir in you when I said the words, we are going to take a test? Uh, probably, if you're like me, those words create a little bit of nervousness uh, inside you, even though you know this doesn't really count for anything. Uh, text anxiety is on the rise among teens these days. We sense that in our own home as we have a 17 and a 13-year-old. So high schoolers actually may be glad that there seems to be a little bit of a trend that colleges and universities are now not requiring standardized tests like the ACT or SAT. Just this week, uh, the University of Chicago declared that in the future they will not be requiring these tests, which I'm sure for those who uh, aren't thrilled with tests is a little bit, uh, is, is some good news. Well, all kinds of things bring us anxiety and fear, including taking tests, and we're going to talk about that today as we as I noted, finish up this sermon series called Knowing Me, Knowing God. Part of this is we are taking a look at this thing called the Enneagram. So as I noted a couple of weeks ago, that 
phrase in and of itself probably causes some people to ask questions. What the heck is an Enneagram? Well, it's really a tool. It's a tool that just hopes to develop self-knowledge, helps us to recognize and identify and disidentify parts of our personalities that limit us so that we can be reunited with our truest and best selves. I'm reading this from a, a website of a book uh, that we're reading as a church this summer, um, The Road Back to You. So the Enneagram teaches there are nine different personality types in the world, and one of uh, which we naturally gravitate toward and adopt in childhood to cope and feel safe. Each type has a number, a distinct way of seeing the world, and there's also an underlying motivation that powerfully influences how that personality type thinks, feels, and behaves. So if you're interested in taking it, you can reach out to me, and I'm happy to send along some online Enneagram tests. Or again, I would encourage you to read the book that we're reading as a church. It's a really good way to begin to explore what the Enneagram is. So beyond the nine different personality types, the Enneagram is broken into three different triads. This is how we've broken down this sermon series. So really, in learning about the Enneagram, that we're driven in different ways by an emotion related to the part of the body known as the center of intelligence. So it's another way of describing how you habitually take in, process, and respond to life. So for example, in the personality types 8, 9, and 1, those are called the gut triad, sometimes called the anger triad. How do we respond to anger? Two, three, and four, which which the church uh, looked at last week, is sometimes called the feeling or the heart triad. People respond to things more strongly, perhaps from the heart, if you're one of those three personality types. And then the final one, and that's what we're going to be looking at today, are numbers five, six, and seven, which are sometimes called the head triad and uh, or fear and anxiety. How do people deal particularly with fear and anxiety in these three personality types? So, this translates to, uh, as we look at this triad around the head triad, again, looking at fear, anxiety, uh, and insecurity. So these three types have a slightly different strategy in how to handle these issues. Sometimes they have a little bit more difficulty compared to the other types in making decisions, particularly in making plans for the future. Head types tend to focus on some unique aspect of world worst-case scenario thinking, which in turn can develop their creativity. So, for example, number five, sometimes called the investigator, they ward off fear with with knowledge, try to do as much as they can to analyze and think their way to feelings, gather knowledge as a way to survival. The number six are called loyalists. These are people who love rules, plans, order, consistency. Uh, Often uh, they will have to struggle sometimes, they overthink things, they really get into worst case scenario thinking, so they ward off fear, not with knowledge, but with pessimism. And then seven, that's called the enthusiast. These are people who love to plan adventures, have great imaginations, uh, escape, think think their way out of pain, so they sometimes tend to ward off fear with optimism, thinking they can just think their way out of the pain they don't want to deal with. So again, dealing with anxiety is a bit more of a challenge with the head triad, but we all deal with anxiety and fear, and that's what we want to talk about today. So what does the Bible say about anxiety and fear? Well, quite a bit, actually. There's, the saying has been that the phrase, do not be afraid, shows up 365 times in the Bible. And I've read that, and I've tried to do the research, and it doesn't quite come out that way, at least in the translations that I've been looking at. 
but it's in there a lot. So in fact, I went on a website called BibleGateway.com, and you can go in there and plug in certain words or phrases. And that phrase, do not be afraid, comes up 67 times in the translation that I usually use, the NRSV. But in another translation I use, it comes up 102 times. So it shows up quite a bit. Even Jesus gets anxious at times. We see Jesus praying near the end of his life in a garden called Gethsemane. You may know the story. In Matthew 26, 37, one translation says, When Jesus took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, he began to feel sad and anxious. But Jesus himself was not above feeling anxious or or fearful. What are the things that give you anxiety? More perhaps than just tests. Could be little things like speaking in public. Could be anxious about the future. Anxious about where you are in life. Anxious about where you're heading. Anxious about a family member. So many different things. And then in our culture, saturated media culture, Uh, that can get exacerbated. All kinds of things come down on us, telling us to be fearful, to be anxious. So what I want to do today is looking at this passage that I read earlier from Matthew is to take a look at what happens when we, and in this case, Jesus literally gets tested. How does he respond when we get tested with potential anxieties or fears? So This is why I had you take a test at the beginning, because that's what Jesus is going through in this passage from Matthew. One scholar says that this is part of what's called the controversy series. Jesus is taking some time and he's stirring some some things up with his teachings. And as you noted, a lawyer is really the one who asks Jesus a question, but lawyer doesn't quite describe what this person is. He's actually more of a professional theologian. He's an expert. It's the only time in Matthew that a lawyer appears in, in that book of the Bible. Here we see that uh, this is not a collegial exchange. No, they've come to test Jesus. And even when they say or call Jesus teacher, uh, scholars believe that's kind of being insincere. Believers in Jesus call him Lord, not teacher. So this is more than just a religious debate. It's much more serious and antagonistic than that. The scripture doesn't say to us whether Jesus gets sweaty palms or if he feels queasy because of this test anxiety. Instead, he responds in another way. He responds with love. In fact, he responds with what he knows. I don't know if you picked up on what he says. Again, Jesus responds when they ask him, What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. What's Jesus saying here? He's actually quoting scripture. He's quoting the scripture that he knows so well. The first part of this comes from Deuteronomy 6.5 that says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. It's part of what's called in the Hebrew scriptures the Shema. Shema is Hebrew for the word hear. And then Jesus quotes another part of the scriptures, Leviticus 19.18. That passage says this, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but, here we go, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know exactly what was going through Jesus' mind. I don't know if he panicked when they asked him this question. I don't know if he got uh, nervous, if his feet started shuffling. But I appreciate that Jesus kept it simple and kept it around 
centered around love and also kept it to what he knows. This is his language. This is the, the language that he knows in his heart and in his head. It's a really pretty well-known story that you may have heard before, but I always like it. It always keeps me grounded when I sometimes get uh, too in my head at all. There's a, one of the most renowned theologians in the 20th century. It was a man named Karl Barth. And the story goes that uh, Bart was speaking one day at Rockefeller Chapel at the University of Chicago in 1962. After he gave a lecture, a questioner asked him if he could summarize his life's work in theology in a single sentence. And so I can imagine that people were kind of waiting. Here's this giant, theolo- uh, theological giant, and waiting. How will he do this? It's almost like, I don't know if the person asking the question was uh, had um, good intentions at heart, but he asked the question, almost like Jesus being tested. And instead of saying the Shema, Bart answered in a way, perhaps that similarly to Jesus, when he said, yes, I can. In the words of a song I learned at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I wish I could have been there to hear the response that people had perhaps some chuckling and laughter, and maybe some people, or maybe there were one or two who rolled their eyes saying that's too simplistic of a response, but Bart answered in what he knew, seemingly so simple and yet so deep and so profound as Jesus did. When tested, Bart responded in that way. When we get anxious in our own lives, whatever it is that brings us anxiety, whether if you've taken the Enneagram, wherever you are on the scale, you get anxious. I get anxious. We get stressed. We get fearful. And so, of course, we want to know what brings us peace, what gives us comfort. And often, it's sometimes why we say it's helpful to memorize verses. People think, oh, what's the use of memorizing Bible verses? And I think these are really moments When we get anxious and we think about how do we respond out of this anxiety, taking a breath and saying, Jesus loves me, this I know, or the Bible tells me so, or another Bible verse that you know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So maybe it's a poem that you know. What is the thing that helps you with your anxiety is calling a friend. Perhaps that's it. And maybe on Sunday, I'll ask folks, like, what are the things that help you with your anxiety so that we can begin to help each other through this? One thing I want to introduce too, another practice for us is gratitude. And this is also a practice that Jesus shows shows us, and we talk about it every Sunday. I mentioned Matthew 26 earlier when Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and the text scriptures tell us that he was anxious Matthew 26 is chock full of reasons why Jesus should be anxious. One of the headings at the very beginning of Matthew 26, verses 1 through 5, the heading says, the plot to kill Jesus. And then the heading over verses 14 through 16 says, Judas agrees to betray Jesus. So we kind of have a sense. uh, It's no wonder that Jesus might be feeling a little anxious. So what is the thing that Jesus does? Perhaps he was saying words that he knew as a as a child, as a boy. But then another practice that Jesus does happens when he gathers with his friends. And verse 27 says, Jesus took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Even in the midst of this time that no doubt brought about anxiety, Jesus expresses gratitude. Jesus gives thanks. Gratitude is one of the best ways that we can respond 
to anxiety and fear. I was reading a really interesting article from the Greater Good Science Center at Berkeley. I'm going to read from part of this. It suggests that uh, a promising approach to complement counseling that is not too taxing on clients but yields higher results, and they've focused on gratitude as one of the things that really helps them to do that. So the folks at the Greater Good Science Center uh, tried an experiment And they had study participants put them in three different groups. All three were receiving counseling. And then the first group was instructed to write one letter of gratitude to another person each week for three weeks. The second group was asked to write about their deepest thoughts and feelings, about negative experiences. And the third group didn't do any writing activity. Well, you can probably figure out what happened. Compared with the participants who wrote about negative experiences or who only received counseling, those who wrote gratitude letters reported significantly better mental health four weeks and 12 weeks after the writing exercises ended. So it's just a brief, small thing. But I think, and also in this, other studies have shown that gratitude can begin to rewire our brains in ways. The word thank shows up in the Bible 206 times. One of my most favorite examples of gratitude, several years ago, when I was pastor of a previous church, uh, this is after Katrina hit, and we went down, a mission team went down uh, to Mississippi to help do some cleanup, and we focused our energies uh, on a particular home. And uh, there's a letter that was written to the woman who kind of headed up. We were there with other churches, and there's a letter written to a woman who shared this letter with the rest of us. And I love this letter. Here's a woman whose home had been damaged by this hurricane. She was also experiencing some disabilities. She was older. It's hard for her to get around. And I love this letter because of how filled with gratitude it is. Now, on the one hand, you can understand why that is. People come and help repair her house. And so she thanks people for that. She says right off the bat, she says, thanks to you and the good people who helped to work on my house. The future looks so much brighter for me and I know I am blessed. For months after Katrina, I sat in my house needing to make repairs, but unable to afford to do so. And then your group came along and gave me a new lease on life. My heart swelled with love as I listened to the hammers busily making my house livable again. And it leaped for joy when I was able to walk into the yard and see the work that you had done. Thank you, my friends. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. My recovery is coming along well, and it is so good to be able to sit on the porch and see the beautiful flowers that you planted and enjoy the sunshine again. One of the things I love about this letter of gratitude are the things that we can perhaps understand some huge things that this group did. And she thanks, she thanks us for that, to be able to help uh, fix the house that she'd wanted to get to. But I love some of the things, too, uh, that she gives thanks for. She, I love this line. My heart swelled with love as I listened to the hammers. Hammers nailing nails. She is thankful for that. She is thankful for beautiful flowers. She's thankful that she can see the sunshine. All of these really beautiful things that she gives thanks for, that she expresses gratitude for. And she's been a model for me in my own prayer life. Every day now I pray what's called the prayer of the exam. And part of that is, in fact, in my journal, every day I write T-Y in my journal, thank you. And I 
make myself think back through the day. I take three deep breaths and then I go through the day and I give thanks. There are so many different ways that we can respond to anxiety in our lives and we all deal with anxiety differently. When we are tested, we may go to places that aren't the healthiest in the world. But as we help each other through times of anxiety, and this is one of the reasons why church, I believe, and community is so important, that we can be there for one another, but also in moments when we feel like we are all on our own and we wonder who can we turn to when we are anxious, perhaps we can learn from Jesus. Maybe we can memorize a verse. What is something that we can go to in those moments? And then also, what are some things for which we can give thanks? What are the things that will be with us and guide us? What are the things, when we really reflect on it, that spark in us just a little piece of joy? And in worship, I'm going to have people fill out post-it notes and begin to think about and write what are some things that they're thankful for and put them up all over the room that we can take that in. What are some things that you are thankful for? That is a really wonderful way for us to respond to the anxiety that all of us feel in our lives, particularly if we feel it more acutely than others. And I know some days it's easier to give thanks than others, but I do hope that that can become a practice for us because God has given us life and therefore has given us things for which we can give thanks. What are those things for you? May we make that so ingrained in our lives that that is our response when we feel tested so that we can know and respond with love and with gratitude. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening to this podcast. You can always reach out to me, chris at urbanvillagechurch.org or my website, christiancoon.com, and I'm happy to respond uh, in those ways. Uh, I'll be off again for one more week, uh, and then we'll be back as we start a new sermon series. And so um, until the next time that uh, we're together, may the peace of Christ be with you.